You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So I'll be doing the Bible reading today. It's from the book of John, chapter 8, starting at verse 31. It'll be on the welcome card in your Bibles and behind us. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Thanks, Christina. Hi, everyone. I'm, uh, I'm Travis, uh, one of the members here at DPC, and uh, today it's my privilege um, to share with you from God's Word. Uh, as most of you would know, uh, Aaron, one of our uh, preachers, is on long service leave, and Adam, our other pastor, is uh, also taking some leave over the holidays. That's given us, uh, a few of us rather, a uh, opportunity to get up here and uh, uh, do some preaching. So um, today we're looking at uh, the book of John, chapter 8, so we're just continuing with our series uh, as we go through. And uh, just thinking back to the um, children's talk before that Kelly did, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to really be able to improve too much. So my, my message is quite similar to uh, what we heard in there. So thanks, Kelly, for that. Let's pray before we uh, get stuck into our passage. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, our, for your word and how it speaks to each of us where we are. May it encourage those who need encouraging, rebuke and correct those who need rebuking and correcting. Open our hearts and minds this afternoon to hear what it is you want to say to us. In your name we pray, amen. 
Well, have you ever had a conversation with somebody uh, when you said something to them uh, intending to be friendly, uh, maybe trying to help them in some way, something meant to, to build them up? Um, but they've, they've only heard or picked up on uh, just one small part of what you said. And pretty quickly they let you know that they're not happy, that you've actually put them offside and offended them. You think to yourself, but they just didn't understand me. They just didn't get it. They just didn't hear me correctly. Well, this is kind of like the situation that Jesus finds himself in in our passage today when he's talking to a group of Jews. Jesus is having this conversation with the group who had uh, gathered around him to hear what he had to say. And we're coming in and we're just looking at a small kind of middle section uh, of the broader conversation. So it's really just a snippet. Uh, And in it, Jesus gives some pretty clear instructions on how uh, they are to gain freedom. Jesus says to them in verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So call me simple. But the uh, big idea uh, for today's sermon is Jesus brings freedom to the world. Actually, though, before Jesus says this, it is helpful to have a look at uh, who it is that Jesus is specifically talking to. And right at the start in verse 31, we're told that Jesus says this statement to the Jews who had believed him. So if we look back in verse 30, just before, we see that as Jesus was speaking, having this conversation many had believed in him. So this section is directed straight at them, those who believed. Now, there's a lot in Jesus' statement and a lot that I could say about it. In relation to the rest of the passage, you could say that this statement he makes at the start uh, is the key to everything else. Everything else that happens afterwards uh, comes about because of this statement that Jesus makes. So I'm going to take some time to look at it and I want to break it into smaller parts so that we can understand it more fully. Hold to my teaching, Jesus says. It sounds easy enough, doesn't it? We just need to do what he says. Actually, though, when it comes to this phrase, I think the ESV translation gets this slightly clearer for us. Instead, it uses the phrase, abide in my word. Because the point Jesus is making here is actually about trusting in him wholeheartedly and persevering in that belief. He's really saying that when the storms of life come and people persecute you, if you trust in me and remain faithful, then you show yourself to be my followers. If you continue in your understanding, if you hold fast, if you trust who I am, then You are really my disciples. Jesus is saying that belief in him is one thing, but you actually need to be a disciple. Belief is not really enough on its own. Now, that is a really big statement, especially in light of Jesus' own words back in John 3.16, which many of us would know. Whoever believes in me, Jesus, that is, uh, should not perish but will have everlasting life. But I don't believe Jesus is really contradicting himself here. Rather, what he's doing is pointing out to these Jews that if they really do believe in him, then they will want to be his disciples, which means they will want to follow him and be like him. 
He's saying that belief should lead to action. If you really believe in me, he says, then you will do what I do and do what I say. He's explaining that it is possible to believe in who he is but not be one of his followers. For the regulars at DPC, I think we saw a good example of this uh, quite recently when we looked at King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. If you recall, for the first three and a half chapters of Daniel, um, which spans, of course, many, many years, the king acknowledged Daniel's God many times. He was very impressed by this God and his power. But that had not shaped or changed the way uh, or, or the king's actions in any way. He was still a very proud man and very proud of the empire that he had built. He was definitely not abiding in God's word, even though he seemed to believe in God. Miraculously, we see him in the second part of chapter 4 recognise his sin and repent of it. This then leads to him having a complete transformation and praise God completely and with everything that he had. Finally, his belief was put into action. So what does one gain from putting belief in Jesus into action? Well, Jesus answers this next in our passage um, by saying that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what does this mean? The truth about what? Freedom from what? I, I think I could argue pretty convincingly that those words, truth and freedom, uh, are two of the most misused and misunderstood words in our modern world. So if we are to hear Jesus correctly in this passage, then we better understand what it is that he means when he says truth and freedom. So firstly, truth. Jesus must be referring to the truth about himself, the truth of who he is and what he will soon achieve by dying on the cross. Looking back, sorry, we know this because we, if we look back in the previous part of the conversation, he has just finished telling the crowd that he is the light of the world. So this would make a lot of sense. Then there is another element to this truth that is very, very important. And it was the key in King Nebuchadnezzar's transformation. It's the truth about ourselves and our hopelessness against the power of sin in our lives. We read on uh, that this truth will set us free. Free from what? Let's look at verse 33 and 34. How can you say that we shall be set free, the Jews asked. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So the freedom that Jesus is talking about uh, is freedom from slavery to sin. So in summary, Jesus is saying if they abide in his word, they will know of their slavery to sin and how he will bring them freedom from it. So, how would you expect the Jews to respond to this? Surely they'd be thrilled, or at least curious about how this Jesus might free them from their sin. Jesus, tell me more. Surely that's what they're thinking. But let's take a look at verse 33 and how they actually responded. We are Abraham's descendants, they say and have never been slaves of anyone. Now, those of you who know your Old Testament well 
uh, know that Abraham's descendants most definitely have been slaves before. Uh, first in Egypt, and you can read about that in Exodus with Moses and God sending the ten plagues and the uh, miraculous escape from Egypt with parting of the Red Sea. We know all about it. And then later again in Babylon, we've looked at it recently uh, in the book of Daniel. In fact, even at this present time, uh, the Israelites were under Roman rule. So what did they mean then when they said they have never been slaves of anyone? Well, to be fair, we're, we're really not sure. <laughs> um, the, the text doesn't spell it out for us. It, it could mean um, that their current generation has actually experienced relative peace and freedom, uh, even under Roman rule. Or it could mean that as God's people, even though they may have been physically oppressed or enslaved to another nation, uh, they have known of and trusted God's great promises to them as a people. I think that it's this second option that makes the most sense, and we'll see that as we go through the rest of the, uh, the passage. But regardless of what they meant, what they're claiming is that they are already free. They have never been slaves of anyone. And also that that freedom has somehow come through their descent from Abraham. They're claiming their heritage. They're saying to Jesus, what can you possibly give us that we don't already have? So a bit of background, according to the Jewish law, uh, these Jews were required to make regular sacrifices to God uh, to atone or make up for their sin. So out of all the humans that populate the earth, the Jews should have been the ones acutely aware of the presence and nature of the sin in their lives and how it entraps them and makes them slaves. They were the ones that the law had been given to in the first place. And its intent was to point out their sin. So even though their outward actions may have been compliant with the law, they should have known that their hearts were bent towards corruption. That they have sinful passions and desires that rule their actions rather than the will of God. But they show by their statement that they were not aware of the reality of their broken relationship with God. They thought that their Jewishness made them free, that they would be just fine. They believed in Jesus, but they didn't recognise or understand their own hopelessness without him. In verse 35, Jesus continues trying to make this clear to them. He says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying if you are a slave, then you, you do not belong to the family. You're outside of it. You may serve the family, work for the family, spend lots of time with the family, but you do not reap the benefits of being in the family or gain any inheritance. In our application of slavery in this passage, uh, he is literally saying you cannot be a slave to sin and belong to God's family. You need to be freed of that slavery before you can belong. Just as a small side note as well, uh, we should note the interesting language change between verse 35 and 36. Um, in verse 35, uh, it says, A son 
belongs to the family. And in verse 36, it is only the capital S son (laughs) that sets you free. Uh, So Jesus is saying here that if you are a slave to sin, then you need the capital S son, as in himself, to set you free. You are not free merely by being a Jew or offering regular sacrifices. Jesus goes on in verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. Now, if I were Jesus, I'd be getting pretty frustrated by now. They just aren't getting it. Although they're listening to and say they believe in Jesus, they are not aware of their own hopelessness. Perhaps they even like Jesus, but they don't need him. They are already God's people. They're fine. So what does Jesus have to say to them? Let's look at at verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. This further shows us that they felt safe and secure already. They weren't illegitimate. They didn't need Jesus because God was already their father. Jesus said to them in verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. He continues in verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. As the conversation has gone on, they've shown that their belief in Jesus was futile, surface level. They were not holding to Jesus' teaching or abiding in his word. They were not seeking at all to be his disciples. They may have liked what he had to say, Uh, but they were blind to their own hopeless state. They didn't realise they needed him. That guy standing right in front of them was their only hope. And Jesus, he doesn't beat around the bush. He lays it out to them that if they do not belong to God, then they belong to the devil. There is no fence sitting. And finally, Jesus gives the dagger to the heart in verse 47. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason that you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Jesus said this to those who claimed to belong to God's family already and uh, and even believed in him. So what does this say to us? Are Jesus' words to these Jews back then still useful for us in any way today? Well, did you grow up in the church? Were you baptised? Do your profession of faith? Was your dad a preacher, perhaps? Do you serve on a roster once a month here at DPC 
Because all these things are really good. But if they're associated with a sense of worthiness or entitlement, then we are just like the Jews in this passage. Uh, Those things we do or say will not repair our relationship with God. They will not free us from our slavery to sin. Only Jesus, the Son, can set us free. You may be familiar with another event that took place during Jesus' earthly ministry, and you'll find uh, this account actually in every gospel. I'll refer to and paraphrase the one from Luke chapter 7. It's about a sinful woman who anoints Jesus with an alabaster jar. Jesus had gone to uh, one of the Jewish leaders' houses uh, for dinner and he was reclining at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life came with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him weeping onto his feet, uh, which she then wiped clean with her hair, kissed and she poured perfume on his feet. When the Pharisee who was hosting Jesus saw this, he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But Jesus said to him, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? He replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. That is correct, Jesus said. And then reading from verse 44, Then he said to Simon, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So just like the Jews in our passage from today, this woman came to Jesus knowing who he was. But the difference was she also knew who she was. She knew she was a hopeless sinner. She knew that this Jesus was her only hope. So she poured literally everything she had on his feet. She got it. And she shows us today what belief in action looks like. How does Jesus respond? Well, in verse 48, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Just like that, the weight of this woman's sin was taken away. She was freed of her slavery. And when you've sinned a lot like she had, those words have a much greater meaning. See, the contrast and problem with the Jews in our passage that Jesus was conversing with is that unlike the woman, they just didn't get it. They thought that because they were descended from Abraham that they were already worthy. They didn't see that they themselves were slaves to sin. They liked the Jesus that was standing in front of them, but they didn't realise that this Jesus could have been their saviour and king. In this passage, 
we also see and we learn that there is no fooling Jesus. He knows our hearts, he knows our minds, and he can tell the difference between someone who is hedging their bets uh, with a foot in multiple camps and someone who knows they are completely hopeless without him. For those of us today who know that we are hopeless without him, Romans 8 verse 1 reminds us that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free from this bondage of sin. While we may still do the wrong thing, we are free from the condemnation that it brings, the death that it leads to. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free. And he even calls us his family. If you are not a Christian here today, you may be thinking that perhaps this doesn't sound that inspiring. But what I'm really saying is that uh, we're free from our sin through Jesus, but only so that we can live as servants of God. It might not sound all that free to you. Well, allow me to challenge you with this. Is a fish free if it ends up on the bench outside of its bowl? It might seem that the way to free a fish uh, is to let it out. Uh, but actually we know that we would be doing that fish a big disservice. For a fish, a fish, a fish to be uh, completely free, it must be in water. See, I think we misunderstand freedom in the Western world. Uh, we often talk about freedom as doing whatever we want, whenever we want to do it. But freedom is actually to live the life that we were designed to live, which is to be in right relationship with God. Being in relationship with God is like our water. It's what allows us to live, to live the way we were designed. But we as humans found a way to jump out of the tank and mess this relationship up. We did this by pursuing our own ideas of freedom. This desire to, to live our own way caused the fracture of our relationship with God. And we still see the results of this around our world today. It's confusion, conflict and suffering. But tonight we see in our passage that um, if Jesus sets us free from this slavery to sin, the desire to do things our own way, then we are truly free indeed. No more do we need to feel the weight of this sin. The relationship with God is restored. Jesus achieved this by his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. Ephesians 1 explains this to us. In verse 7 it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It is the truth, uh, sorry, this is the truth that Jesus says will set us free. This is what Jesus came to earth to achieve once and for all. Freedom from our slavery to sin. But how did the Jews respond to this message in our passage? They got their backs up. They started arguing with him tried to explain to Jesus that they were already free. They didn't need this freedom that he was trying to give them. They displayed by their words and actions that they were full of hope already. But their hope was based on a lie. 
It had not come from God. Let's briefly recap what Jesus says to them in this passage. In verse 39, that they are not true descendants of Abraham. In verse 47, they do not belong to God. In verse 44, that they are in fact serving the enemy. See, the woman with the jar of oil was hopeless without Jesus. Abraham was also hopeless without Jesus. The Jews in our passage were hopeless without him. They just didn't know it. We are all hopeless without Jesus. Do you know that? Or do you find yourself hedging your bets, coming to church, serving on a roster, um, perhaps giving your money to the poor, but never really giving your heart to him? never really grabbing hold of the freedom that he offers. Then today can be the day. In your hopelessness, come to Jesus and hear his words, your sins are forgiven. If you do that, you will know the truth that Abraham knew of all those years ago and you will experience the freedom that the woman experienced. For those who know the saving grace that Jesus brings, take heart, be encouraged, continue abiding in his word and following him and you will know the freedom he brings. We all know that there are times where uh, we do not feel this freedom when life seems a little bit too hard. We are an emotional people and we are made to feel things deeply. But feelings can never change the truth. So in these times, it is all the more important to remind ourselves to abide in Jesus' words. Meditate on them. Make sure that they have sunk right in there. And by doing so, you show yourself to be one of his true followers. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for sending Jesus, our Saviour, to die on the cross, freeing us from our slavery to sin. May we not rest on our own achievements or our heritage, but put our belief into action by taking up our cross and following him each day. May we abide in his word, especially when life gets tough. Forgive us when we don't trust in Jesus. May your spirit remind us in those times of our hopelessness that we might turn again towards him. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.